Hi, everyone, and welcome to the March 16th edition of the Colorful Plates podcast. Today's podcast features my full interview with Chef David Bancroft of Auburn, Alabama. Chef Bancroft is the executive chef and owner of Acre and Bow and Arrow Restaurants, an Iron Chef Showdown winner, and three times James Beard Award semifinalist. Chef Bancroft speaks on his heritage and how he draws on his southern upbringing as inspiration in the kitchen. A little bit of love, some local ingredients, and passion for his community goes into each dish he creates. What inspired you to become a chef? You know, my my mother grew up in an agricultural family. My, My grandfather, Grandpa Kennedy, grew up in a cotton ginning family and as he got older, Grandpa, he, he got into more farming than ginning. Um, so he started growing cotton, and then he started growing uh, peanuts. Then he got into cattle farming. Then he got into chicken farming. Then he got into fish farming, planting pines and, and you know, farming and pine trees. And after a while, you know, he got so annoyed with the banks not giving loans to farmers that he decided, well, I'll just build my own bank too. So he built his own bank. And after he built his own bank, he, he had a bit more flexibility and like, well, man, I want to sell more of my groceries, you know, my food, my fish, my cattle, chickens, whatever. So I'll just build my own restaurant because that's the, the part he, he really. He had a hand in everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was he was literally the jack of all trades. His name was Jack Pauline Kennedy, uh, but he went by Paul and everybody knew Mr. Paul. And so for me growing up and, and watching Grandpa live off the land and utilize every inch that he could and utilize every bit of surroundings. If he leased the land to somebody, there was a little bit of barter and trade in it. Well, if you're going to hunt that property, then I would like you to get us some venison or, you know, or, or however they could. If, if grandpa obviously would trade catfish to the people that milled cornmeal or grits, they would swap people for, for field peas or zipper peas. The whole community was literally a co-op. Everybody was operating for the good of the town. It's pretty cool. You know, they take, say it takes a village to raise, to raise kids. Sometimes it sounds like that was kind of the way that you grew up a little bit. Each family had their lane, but they all provided diversity and cuisine for the whole town. I mean, a population of, of 1,900 people. The only restaurant they had that I remember as a little, little boy was Hardy's. And outside of that, it was Grandpa's restaurant, 10 Mile Creek Farms Restaurant. And just just watching that, experiencing that, and, and my mama Jean, uh, you know, had an uncle that had polio growing up and was in a wheelchair, so they always had a helper that would help get my uncle back and forth. And as he got older and more sustainable on his own, they they helped just create a job for for Melma, who then started helping to cook and clean, and and they just gave her a career to make sure she always had a job. And so I always had my mama Jean and Melma together two Southern, you know, South Alabama women in the kitchen. And I would just follow around and pick behind these women and watch what they're doing. And it's just so simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was chefs. We just, we always want to complicate it. And sometimes it really is just about hands-on simplicity, feeling the dough, feeling the biscuit dough, feeling how dry or crumbly it is. Mm-hmm. You know, starting with room temp butter, cold butter. It's, it was just all simple science of feel, texture, and tradition passed down in heritage from grandmother, you know, grandmother to mother to daughter. And I got to witness that in the kitchen. And then grandpa was always growing things to provide for the kitchen, raising animals, raising crops. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't ever get that out of my head. So then 
we moved to San Antonio, Texas as a child. And in Texas, all of a sudden, you've got that same like cattleman background of Texas beef farmers everywhere. I was like, that's like grandpa. You know, grandpa, grandpa just didn't wear a cowboy hat. <laughs> and so I immediately could relate to that cowboy culture and then watch that cowboy culture and Mexican influence and Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, this is just food is way too good. Food is way too fun. <laughs> food is fun. Food is good. You're right. I know you mentioned you moved to Texas as a child, but then you moved back to Alabama and attended Auburn and culinary school wasn't your first choice, was it, when you went to Auburn? No. So, you know, all that cooking started in middle school for me, you know, like 12, 13 years old, I started goofing off and, you know, trying to make better hamburgers. My dad was making those big old backyard hockey pucks <laughs> yeah. that were just charred bricks on the outside. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they'd shrink up. I mean, literally to the shape of a hockey puck, the burger, the bun would go two inches over the thing and you have to wrap the bun around it. And I just was like, man, I can't stand this. I can't. If I know I have an opportunity to fix this, I feel obligated to fix it for the family, for the good of the people. I just started goofing off like, you know, I would go to Whataburger, like, wow, I just, I like how big their patties are and they fit the bun. I'm going to go home and do that. So I started just mimicking foods that I like. I started making ribs and brisket. You know, if I wanted brownies, I'd just go, you know, buy a box of brownies and make brownies and, and really just, just goofing off. And when I got into college, it just got much more serious. I was in a fraternity at, uh, in Auburn and I followed my two older brothers. So now all of my brothers are in Auburn, in Alabama. My parents are the only ones in Texas now. And the rest of our family is in Alabama. But, you know, so uh, eventually the fraternity voted me the kitchen steward. I was in charge of our, our fraternity chef and planning meals. If we did a fundraiser or a big rodeo event or a, a pledge uh, recruiting, you know, afternoon or something, it would be smoking Boston butts, boiling crawfish, frying catfish, you know, grilling steaks, whatever we were doing, I had to get my hands on it. Uh, and my fraternity brothers made fun of me. Like, what? Like, we don't care what you did to it, man. Just let us have it. And they're like, it tastes good, man. You don't got to explain all the, all the nitty gritty about it, but you're so excited about it. Well, I mean, I remember one time one of my fraternity brothers was real mad at me and he knew exactly what to say when he was mad. He's like, you know what? Your food's not even good. Oh. Why'd you say that, man? That's straight to the heart. So, <laughs> yeah, I still don't get along with that guy. So, never forgave him. Um, and obviously now I have critics that do that all the time. So That's right. You know I can handle it, but and so honestly, you know, I told my dad my sophomore year of college, Dad, I just I know I'm in fraternity and I'm involved on campus. I'm just not having fun, man. I I want to go to culinary school, and I've been researching this one in New York, you know, the the CIA in Hyde Park, and I would just like to go for it. And and at that time, he wasn't really enthusiastic about it. He just said, you you know, keep your head down, you know, finish school and and in business school and let's just reconvene later on your senior year. So senior year kicks around and I'm like, dad, I'm miserable. All I can think about is food. All I can think about is going to cook. I don't want to go to grad school. I don't want to be sitting at a marketing desk or an accounting office or auditing people like you did. And that's what I went to school for. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay in accounting and finance and I have to do it every day in a restaurant. I have to do marketing every day in a restaurant. 
So all of that schooling is still applicable, but it wasn't making me happy. And so finally, my dad said, listen, this summer, go get a job in a restaurant and let's just see what happens. You know, I, I think your food's too salty. It's too spicy. It's too garlicky. It's too buttery. I'm like, I know all the good stuff. Yeah, it's all the good things, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, 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 yes. And so I got my first job at a local restaurant and obviously went to Auburn, you know, Amsterdam Cafe. I do know Amsterdam. That's a great place. And so, but, you know, at the time, this was 04, 05-ish. And it just wasn't putting out, it was a local restaurant, but it just wasn't putting out the quality of food that it could have. And a lot of things were pre-purchased and, and arrived already done or the fish was vacuum sealed and frozen, already pre-cut. And after my first year, and I started doing specials, and after my first year, some of the chefs had left, and you know, the really only influence I had at the time was, was Chef Leonardo Morelli that was guiding me and giving me great advice and pointers, and then he left quickly, and, and he took another job, and so I was just kind of in there alone, like, i got to figure this out now. And so... The owners at that point were like, well, we got to get a chef. So, I mean, they told the kitchen manager, well, you know, what about that kid? Well, the frat kid there. Mm -hmm. So put a manager over overseeing me, but then just let me go. And as I started cooking, I started getting in fresh fish. And eventually they said, wow, this is working. People are piling in. Like I started cooking for the locals, not the college students. Changing that direction and that focus. I was learning culinary school through the community. They were teaching it to me. They were willing to be there. They were buying all of it. I didn't have hardly any leftovers. Very rarely had to like discard things. I mean, if I bought fish from Japan, if I bought fish from Hawaii, from New Zealand, I was buying fish from all over the world flown in just so I could learn the anatomy, the texture, the density, the sweetness, the flavor, how to pair it better. And oftentimes I would, I would try to make dishes in and around the area with influences from where the fish came from. So I'd be forced to use ingredients outside of the box. It was like chopped. Right. And then, and then them supporting you just validated your wishes to become a chef. Well, so, I mean, all it did was pro it just kept lifting confidence. And I started foodstagramming on, on Facebook long before, I mean, like 2006 and seven. People were like, whoa, hey, look on Facebook. There's food on there right now. And so I started putting my food on there because I was like, I want more people to come get this. Like, you got to see this. And I just started throwing it on there. Like, you know, my marketing background, and I started putting it on there. And I mean, I didn't think you could share posts back then. I think you could just only like it. Yeah. I mean, Facebook was very new and Instagram wasn't even a, on the radar at that point. So you were doing something out of the box. Yeah. My wife had to convince me to like, hey, you need to get this Instagram app. This is the future. I'm like, no, it's not. It's this Facebook thing. Let me do what I'm doing. I'm on a roll here. Right, right. The power of social media is crazy. I mean, that's just how we tell our story now is, is going through all of those growth opportunities like I had at, at Amsterdam Cafe, where obviously with my background, I was able to get my hand on the P&L statements, look at our inventory, look at our food cost percentages, labor percentages, and instill my business background in a creative setting which totally flipped that restaurant upside down. I mean, it just started, it started becoming very profitable. And I, I was very proud to deliver that to the owners, especially in 
2008, 9, and 10 when the economy was not doing well. Exactly. I remember coming to college, um, started as a freshman in 2012, and I remember people being like, oh, Amsterdam, it's so good. It's such a great restaurant. And then I remember seeing Acre being built, and I started hearing whispers you know, from students and people around town like, oh, this place is going to be awesome. It's farm to table. And I remember when it did open, it was such a big deal. And I've eaten there and it's actually incredible. And the farm to table concept didn't seem like it really been brought to Auburn yet. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how did you develop that concept for Acre? And how do you continue to emphasize that farm to table style in your menu planning? Well, it all happened at Amsterdam Cafe. You know, obviously during that time, because people were so supportive and you know, that restaurant didn't take reservations. So people would line up at the door and wait an hour. They just sit around outside like you're at the beach and they just first come first serve. That's how we did it. And as part of that whole infiltration of getting fresh cut steaks and fresh cut fish. And I had taken a visit to Birmingham as I was researching chefs, Frank Stitt and Chris Hastings. Like these are some of the leaders of the South. I was researching their menus and like, how do they get all these first names on their menu? Like Bob's lettuces and, you know, Snow's Bin, peas, that kind of stuff. Like, how, you know, where's all this coming from? So my wife, well, my girlfriend at the time and I, we drove up, went to Highlands and experienced, you know, Highlands Bar and Grill, James Beard winning chef, great program. I mean, they, they pump out just great quality employees as well. I mean, just the alumni that they have at that restaurant just shows the quality of program education, not only for the, the consumers, but the staff as well. And it was all due to the amount of attention and detail that Chef Frank did and commitment to buy local ingredients, to go to farms, to drive the extra mile to get quality. And now I'm driving back to Auburn, crazy inspired. You know, you can't get on social media at that time and find people. So I flipped open the yellow pages, literally, looked up farms, looked up what I could, asked people, put a question out there on Facebook. Does anybody know any local farms? And we found Randall Farms. And I got the phone number and, and called Mr. Frank and said, you know, hello, Mr. Randall, I'm David. I'm at a restaurant in town that, you know, I don't, I'm not even sure if he knew what it was, if he even knew Amsterdam Cafe. And he's out in Beauregard. And, and I said, I'd like to come out. And he said, all right, well, you know, we'll be here tomorrow morning. So come out bright and early. And I remember driving, going out towards Beauregard. And I remember going down, uh, you know, towards the farm, hitting this little dip. And on the way back up, there was this huge rolling green pasture on the left. And out in the middle of the pasture, the sun was coming up. And you could see all these lambs grazing in the field. I was like, wow, I didn't, like, I didn't even know this was here. I've driven past this farm so many times while going hunting or fishing you know, out in the country, but never with food on my mind, never with being a chef and career and, and food and fresh and, and local community on my mind. And now I'm looking at the same thing I've driven past all through college and now seeing like this gym here in, in Auburn and Opelika area. So I drive past the lambs, pull in the gate, and I'm already thinking like, my food is never going to be the same again. I could just, I feel it already. It's like, electricity something's going to happen here and pull in meet mr frank meet his boys and literally it was like they walked over and showed me the blueberries and showed me the chickens they had rabbits you know like farm rabbits for sale 
you know, in this experience, I'm like, okay, I want to buy something. How, how, you know, how do we do it? And they're like, you know, I, I don't know, you know, like I was explaining to them, like, you know, all my vendors, the only way I know is my vendors have like 14 day terms. Like, well, we don't do that. I was like, so let's just keep it simple. I give you a check. You give me the food. All of a sudden I've got fresh lamb, fresh blueberries. Zach had just started a CSA for the area and I would buy his leftovers. So he had no leftovers at the time. So I would, I would buy, if they pick so many blueberries, they had to freeze them. I'll buy them out of the freezer. I started making blueberry ice cream and selling it back to them at, you know, at a lower rate so they could sell it to their CSA members. And they come in and buy blueberry ice cream from their blueberries that I made that I gave back to them. And we just found a way to just like continue the full circle of community and people got word of it. Tomato farmers showed up at the door, greens, you know, collard green farmers showed up at the door, found out one of my health inspectors was a rabbit farmer. He started growing strawberries. So I started buying strawberries from him. I mean, it was just opened the door to opportunity for the whole community. And now Auburn and Opelika has farm to table. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember, you know, seeing the gardens outside of Acre and what all are you guys growing out there right now? You have citrus and apples and all sorts of stuff, don't you? Yeah. Well, so at my house, I started flirting with like, how do I use my land more like grandpa? So at my home, I went around the perimeter of like where the fences were and everything. And I started planting fruit trees at my house. And then I was like, well, you know, that I was in a brand new neighborhood and I didn't have a labor, a neighbor to one of my sides of the house on the left side. So I was like, well, I'll just till that up. I borrowed a tractor and I tilled up the lot next to me. And before they built a home there, I, I farmed that piece of land. Seeing the success of that, I was like, well, you know, if you go to Amsterdam Cafe now, there's a big parking lot that's just gravel parking lot behind it. But that used to be rich black soil. And I went to Mr. Dean, William Dean, that was over there and owned that land. And I said, Mr. Dean, it took four times to convince him to let me plant right there. I said, will you plant with me? You love to farm. I see you putting stuff back here. So he and I farmed it together and we had an acre garden behind Amsterdam Cafe that nobody ever knew about. It had so much produce, like so much produce. I had to call other chefs at other restaurants to come pick it up. So the whole concept of acre spawned out of the successes we were able to do and not only providing fresh food and creative food for the community, but being able to control it business-wise and, and practicing proper business ethics, treating our employees proper and, and giving them a proper environment for them to nurture their career and find a healthy way to do it. And so at Acre, we got a variance from the city of Auburn that allowed us to plant instead of, you know, the beautification rules, you got to have some small shrubs, some medium bushes or whatever, and you have to have some tall canopies and you have to have a, a minimal amount of each. So boxwoods, crepe myrtles, Japanese maples, that kind of stuff. I got a variance to change it all to fruit bearing trees and edible shrubs like blueberries. So if you walk by the front door at Acre, we've got Meyer lemons, blackberries. We've got an olive tree. And by the psychologist office, we've got apples going down a fence, plums going up the other side. In the back of the parking lot by the apartments, we've got peaches running all the way across. We have pears in the median. We have figs and persimmons in the back corner of the parking lot. Blueberries that run all the way up the span of the gas station. We have guava behind the building. We've got bay laurel planted by our AC units. 
so the warm air winters them over. We've got lemongrass planted by those AC units, so it winters it over as well. We've got a strawberry patch by the valet. We have raised beds with heirloom tomatoes, hot peppers, herbs. We've got a flower garden with all edible flowers. And then the length of the restaurant, we've got a 75-foot-long cornfield. So a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, just that doesn't make it sustainable for us, but we are practicing sustainability. Right. And we're just showing everybody in the community what you can do with a small piece of land. Yeah, absolutely. Just like your grandfather kind of utilized his land. They're drawing inspiration from that. Correct. How do you use your produce in your restaurants? I mean, what are your favorite fruits and veggies to work with? I mean, right now, every single morning I get my coffee and I walk out at Acre and I walk and I have little conversations and I talk to the blueberries, to the peaches. Hey, you're, al you're almost ready. Can't wait. I'm excited. <laughs> and so, you know, obviously working with those fresh fruits, it's just unbelievable to walk out in your parking lot and pick high quality fruit. You know, our, the restaurant gardens produce really beautiful Cherokee purple tomatoes. Our strawberries are starting to pump out. We've got our cornfield. All of our corn is sprouting and we do silver queen corn. I also, from one of my really good chef buddies, Stephen Green, um, at the Umstead Hotel, gave me some heirloom corn called John Hawk corn. And so we were just doing that seed exchange. So now I've got some Cherokee White Eagle corn, which is an heirloom Cherokee variety that I'm going to send him, which is a purple corn. And he's sending me, it's like a, a reddish orange colored that's great for milling grits. And so having fun with other chefs that are involved in the same philosophy, mm -hmm. passing, you know, seed saving, that husbandry uh, and, and sharing that culture. Right. So how do you, how are you going to use those beautiful tomatoes and that beautiful corn in the kitchen? Like, how are you going to stay inspired with those ingredients? I mean, one of the, you know, we also, we purchase from so many local farmers. If they show up at the back door and it's pretty and high quality, we're probably going to buy it. And oftentimes, you know, if it's like, guys, I know we have tomatoes from this farmer and that farmer, and they're all beautiful. But look at these. These are also beautiful. So oftentimes my chef's have to deal with just my enthusiasm and, and a little bit hoarding. <laughs> Grandpa was a little bit of a hoarder. He hoarded farm equipment and always said he was going to recycle something. So we're always having to test and, and create and use creativity to keep those fresh foods pumping in and selling. So the menu changes daily. So we're excited about one dish on Monday and by Wednesday we're like, ooh, what about this dish? this dish is super radical. Like, this is super radical. Let's do this one. And we just reprint the menus every night. So there is no barrier. There's no box we have to live in. We can do tomatoes any format of any way that you want. How do you stay inspired in the kitchen? I mean, is, is the produce just right outside your window and these local farmers, they just keep you on your toes, I guess, from the sounds of it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the rush to stay ahead of the season and also being in rhythm with the seasons is a, is a very exciting. You know, I love the outdoors and hunting and fishing, but also foraging and finding and farming. And, and that just always drives my enthusiasm and passion for food. The day I don't have that enthusiasm, you better hope I close the door to Acre. And so honestly, it's just, it's an obligation for our team. We make it an obligation to use the best of the best to provide the best of the best. And, and my philosophy for food is also equally in line with my philosophy for people and our guest. And that is, 
I'm cooking because I love to cook, but I'm cooking like this because I like to serve you. And I want you to be happy. And I want you to get a good bite. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm in the kitchen staring at your face to see your reaction. Because <laughs> you love your community. Yeah. And, and this is just, this is the way that I serve people. I, I try to do it the best I can with a servant's heart. And whether it be philanthropically or through food and through business, this is, this is how I do it. I have my staff, my entire team engaged, interested, but also full believers of the system that we have. And they're fully supportive. And they, they want to experience the same nostalgia that I get when they watch me put out a dish and watch my face and my reaction. They're like, oh man, that's why we're here. So what advice would you give other chefs on how to stay inspired and inspiring their team? I mean, oftentimes you, you just have to push through. You just have to put opportunity in place to give you a reason to be passionate. It's very easy to get in a rut. It's very easy to just stay indoors and hit the repeat button. Uh, it's a great dish. They love it. Everybody loves it. Leave it. Don't mess with it. Just leave it but you're never going to try to create a better dish than that one. And so from, you know, my advice is, is always open yourself up for opportunity. Always aspire to make the dish one step, one level better than it is. Listen to your guests, listen to your farmers, listen to your community. And if you're going to be a chef, in my opinion, you're obligated to be the very best you can. There should always be the strive to be better. But oftentimes, it's good for a chef to get out, get out of the restaurant, go do an event, go do a tasting event, go do a fundraiser, go in the woods and look for stuff, go fishing, go hunting, go to a farm and go meet the people, meet your community. You can't run a restaurant just looking at tickets printing out. And that's your thought of people. People aren't tickets. They're living, breathing people in your community that want to be nurtured, want to be taken care of. They want to feel at home in your hands, in your building, in your restaurant, in your kitchen, in your dining room. And that's an obligation. Thank you to Chef Bancroft for taking the time to speak with Colorful Plates. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing about your journey to becoming a chef as your stories remind me of home. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your week. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And as always, stay fresh. Stay fresh.